what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello and welcome to Foot Candle Films. This is the Mesh's show for movie reviews and discussion. I'm Alan Jackson. With me is Chris Fry. Chris, how are you feeling today? Feeling good. Ready to talk about some movies. Chris, how are you feeling today? <laughs> I'm feeling good. I am not blinking, and I'm ready to talk about some movies. Chris, how are you feeling today? I am feeling good. Okay, good. We just put Chris through a little bit of processing there just to get ready for our first review discussion that's going to be on the show, which is the film The Master, and we'll explain for those of you that maybe don't know what we were just trying to do there. Hopefully we can explain <laughs> it a little bit in a moment. Uh, and then we're going to go a bit video game retro with uh, Disney's Wreck-It Ralph. We're going to talk about some movie news, and then we're going to close out our show with our film recommendations of the month. So, Chris, you ready to get started? Yes, I am ready to get started. Very good. Very good. You have been processed well. But first off, special thanks to our sponsor for the show, Main Cellar City Club, that is located here in Hickory, North Carolina, a wonderful venue for events, musical acts. Uh, we've seen some great performances, bands playing there. I know some of the bands they've got coming up either now or in the near future, uh, Bad Company, uh, Little Little River Band, I believe, is somebody coming up pretty soon as well. I've been to wedding receptions there. I've been to other festivals there. Great place, connected to Market on Main Restaurant, which has got some great food to begin with. And then you've got this great event venue. So if you're looking to hold an event or you want to go see some great bands, see some great performances, definitely go check out Main Cellar City Club. You can find them online at MainCellarCityClub.com. So, on to our reviews. First up, let's discuss Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. What we will do now will urge you toward existence within a group, a society, of family. Good science, by definition, allows for more than one opinion. Otherwise, you merely have the will of one man, which is the basis of cult. And this is where we are at. To have to explain ourselves. For what? The only way to defend ourselves is to attack. You know, you should wake up, Val. Your father's speaking. You might learn something. He's making all this up as he goes along. You don't see that? Okay, Chris. So, Joaquin Phoenix, fresh off his faux documentary life project, I'm Still Here. <laughs> That's what you're going to call it. Right? That's what I'm going to call it. Okay. Former Oscar winner and perennial art house favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman, rising actress Amy Adams, mm -hmm. in a film by the director of They Will Be Blood and Magnolia. Addressing soldiers, sustaining crippling emotional trauma post-war, and possibly loosely based on the life of Scientology founder L. Ron Hubbard. My question to you, Chris, can they go ahead and place their orders for Oscar this year? And if so, are there discounts for large orders? Hmm. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, I would say Philip Seymour Hoffman, Joaquin Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix. Yeah, they'll, they'll probably at least be nominated. But um, should they be? Should they be? Yeah, I, I, I think so. Uh, specifically, I would probably say uh, Joaquin Phoenix. You liked um, his you liked his performance in this. I, I did, and um, 
I have seen probably the first 15 minutes maybe of I'm still here because I couldn't tolerate any more of it right. um, because I'd known it that when I was watching it that it was fake because, you know, the news had already yeah. come out. And this is for those of you, you know, this is the film that came out a few years ago. Um, it was about the time he was going through what seemed to be some very erratic behavior maybe in the mental breakdown. Yeah, he was on the David Letterman show with a very odd appearance. Uh, he made a there was a film that supposedly was a documentary about this phase of his life where he's going into a very weird place. And but it turned out to be fake. Yes. I mean, it was a big art experiment for Joaquin Phoenix. Kind of like see. an Andy Kaufman. Yeah. Let's see yeah. how crazy kind of I can make myself look and yes. see if people believe it. Yes. Okay. All right. So back to what you're saying there. So you only watched first 15 minutes of that. You of couldn't that. you couldn't yes. deal with no, that. No, I couldn't take yeah. But, you know, I had liked Joaquin Phoenix in Gladiator. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I thought he was pretty good in signs, you know, but I, and then when I saw, and I loved him and walked the line, he was nominated for an Oscar, didn't win, but I I really liked The Johnny Cash biopic. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then after I'm still here, I was like, oh man, you know, that's just such a shame. You know, he's just completed. But for him to be able to turn around and come back and do this, I was really, really genuinely kind of surprised for him to be able to put, not that I didn't think he was a good actor, but just to kind of rebound mm-hmm. and what a way to rebound. <laughs> well, and, and he's playing a character of uh, Freddie Quill who, uh, uh, as you kind of got maybe from the setup, is coming back from the war. Yes. Uh, this is World War II. He's coming back into the States. He's trying to kind of reacclimate himself back into society. But and, and we get the impression that even before the war, he probably had his own issues. I don't think the war was the sole cause for his no, there's definitely some mental family, state. Family yeah. issues there. But a drinking uh, <laughs> whatever it is he was drinking throughout the entire <laughs> he film. He had several little cocktails that he would Cocktails drink. from, uh, was it, you know, different types of fluid from different types of uh, bombs. Photo, photochemical were, fluids. That yeah. Because he, he was a He was mixing yeah. everything he could. All of that lending to him having a tough time with things, both yes. in jobs, both in relationships. So it was a very, it's an interesting character to play. Um, what I thought was fascinating about it, playing this role was that... Um, Yes, he had this. He's, he had this intense passion and, and just some level of almost subsiding anger underneath him, and you could see that almost ready to boil at any time. Yes, but yet also his mannerisms were very, sometimes very effeminate, just in the way he held himself and his kind of his mouth. The way he held his mouth is very strange. It's just a, it's a very odd performance, but yes. yet it was fascinating to watch. Yeah, I, I thought his performance was his face, what he would do with his face. And like you're saying, his mannerisms, his speech, um, you know, who knows how many drunks there have been portrayed in cinema a lot, yeah. but his was a very interesting one. Yeah. Um, and also sometimes I would have trouble understanding what he was saying. It sure. was so slurred, but it's still very effective. So I, yes, I think he deserves an Oscar nomination. Does he deserve okay. to win? I don't know, but definitely to be, definitely okay. to be nominated. So you, you like his performance. Yes. All right. well, I'm, on, I'm on board with uh, team Joaquin for this, All right. for this film. What else did you like about the film? Um, the cinematography, and that's probably it. Oh boy, Chris, <laughs> we're not going to have a good discussion here. Uh, so. Oh no, it'll be a great discussion. We just want to <laughs> agree. Um, no, I, I thought the film was extremely, you know, it's Paul Thomas Anderson and the guy who was the cinematographer for this, I think it was actually the first time they'd worked together because the other guy that he uses, can't remember his name right now, was not available. Right. And so he uses new, but still the shots were very you know, beautiful. beautiful. A lot of it was, and you know, it was very Paul Thomas Anderson. So, so I liked, I liked the cinematography of it now. Okay. I will say, do I, okay. Any other performances deserving of um, Oscars? No, but I don't think that's their fault. They still did a wonderful job. I don't think they were bad performances. I thought Amy Adams was good. I thought Philip Seymour Hoffman was good. 
I just don't see it as being very standout, but it's not their, it's not their fault. It comes to one of my problems with the movie, the direction, the story, it, he just doesn't give them a lot. I think he leaves a lot out. And I, you know, it, my overall complaint, I guess, with the movie, I was bored. And I think, and it's not the fault of the actors. They mm-hmm. did the best with what they were given, I think, because they're good actors. And I think they did a good job acting. You're supposed to believe Philip Seymour Hoffman is the master mm-hmm. that he is so charismatic that people just follow him. I never got that in this movie. And that's not a fault of Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. I did not find him to be charismatic almost at all. He seems very slight. Now people follow him and I understand he's written a book and that's, you know, gotten people to come on board with the cause. Maybe if I had read the book, maybe I would understand why he's so charismatic. I don't understand why people are flocking to him. He comes out with a second book and there's a, in the movie, and there's this big kind of scene where he has this speech where he's going to kind of, you know, say, Hey, I've gotten this big book. And like, you know, maybe I thought, okay, this is his chance to convince me how charismatic he is and why people want to follow him. And he basically just kind of gets up there and kind of laughs it off. And Freddie Quill, who's expecting, I think something kind of big from this revelation of, Oh, here's the next thing. He gets kind of, like you're saying, irritated. His facial expression is kind of disappointment at what Philip Seymour Hoffman reveals to be his next big idea, which is laughter is Mm. good for us. And Freddie Quill kind of has this expression on his face like, really? And to me, I was like, yeah, exactly. Really? Anybody is impressed with what (laughs) is Mm. what this guy said? I I needed to be convinced that people would follow him, and I wasn't. So, Mm. Where to start? Where (laughs) to start? Okay. So you were bored by the film. Yeah. I'm sorry. I felt like I could have watched the first 30 minutes, fallen asleep, watched the last 15 and I, I wouldn't have missed anything. Like I wouldn't have missed any themes. I wouldn't have missed any, I mean, I would have missed some time, but other than that, I just, Oh, Chris, Chris, Chris. All right. There's a scene in the movie Mm -hmm. where, you know, the, the, the comments about Scientology, um, if this movie had actually been based more on Scientology and had told me about Scientology, I could have followed that as like, oh, I'm learning something. I'm gaining some insight on something. But it had little splashes in Scientology. But do I think that's what this movie is about? No. So I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson is going to go to jail or be – well, he wouldn't go to jail anyway. But I don't think you know the Scientologists are going to hunt him down any more than they already have. Right. They're not going to hunt him down. Yeah. But um, there's a the processing, some of that was a little interesting to me. But there's a scene where Joaquin Phoenix is being made to walk back and forth between a wall and a window. Mm-hmm. And it's part of this journey that, you know, Philip Seymour Hoffman keeps telling him to do it and say what he says or what he feels when he hits each place. Like he'll put his hand on the wall. That pacing and how Freddie Quell felt in that instance, that's how I felt during the entire movie. It was kind of like you're making me go back and forth between these scenes that I don't really feel connect that well together. I don't know what I'm supposed to be getting out of it. You know, a lot of movies, they present a question, but don't present any answers. And people, some people don't like that. They're like, oh, you know, I want more answers. That's not my problem. I'm fine without getting the answers, but I would at least like to know what the point of the movie is. What is the question? It's like not interested in giving me answers, which is fine, but it's not even, to me, it wasn't even interested in giving me questions. It was just not, it was just kind of like Paul Thomas Anderson, very creative man. He wanted to make a movie and he wasn't reined in at all. It was kind of like he just wanted to throw a bunch of ideas out there and I just don't think it worked as a very cohesive piece. It was very, some shots were very beautiful. He had good acting, but the end result to me was just a, 
a big letdown. Wow. I could not disagree more. I, I <laughs> loved this film. And actually, it's one of those where I've, I've, the more I've thought about it afterwards, the more I've just become so enamored with it. Yeah, it doesn't give you any clear, easy answers. It's not a, a, a here's, the, here's the message I'm trying to tell you, and here's where I'm going to get you to, and this is what you're going to feel at the end. Which I'm fine with. It's, it's a very conceptual film. But it's this whole argument. And Freddie Quill is a basically an animal. He is a human animal where the inhibitions are somewhat lowered, or not lowered, but they're they're released. There, okay. he doesn't have filters. He doesn't have that governor on his emotions. And 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 you've got Dodd, the uh, the 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 leader, the master of this 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 cult. I guess you could say. I mean, it's his movement. But even somebody gets in an argument saying it's kind of like sure. a cult. Sure. And you could see that. Um, but it's a cult on the lowest form. I mean, he hasn't, I don't think, necessarily brainwashed people. He's just given them such a... Something to believe in. Something to believe in. And he's made it as focused and as intense to believe in as possible where people buy in. They're looking for something. And But yet he also is an animal that's just had to repress all those animal feelings, all those animal instincts for so long. You kind of get the impression he's, he's percolating under the surface there. He's got... He sees Freddy as we'll his to, surrogate. I don't know if we need to do a spoiler edition, well, it, but there's something I, I would agree that yes, there's there's some subtext like, there. Yes, there's some things yes. under the surface. Yes, but he he sees Freddy as his as his as his surrogate. It's almost like here's a guy that is just has no hinges on him. And yes, I'm going to try to bring him into my fold, but I want to see if I can bring him in and still utilize his animal instincts his 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 pure base level nature um and it doesn't work too well for him i mean he he tries to rein this guy in the guy is not going to get reined in and and it kind of ends the way it ends i thought it was a fascinating subject to be thinking about because no it wasn't about scientology i mean it is about the idea of a man who has built a following around him and then you come to realize he's really got nothing to base it on other than just words and things he likes to say and i guess the fact that he's an author and that there's processing yeah, that outside of that scientology kind of fouls away i think you could say this i mean honestly you could almost say this uh, appeals to any you know cult any religious organization any club any group where somebody is kind of the the spiritual head of that group and preaches and talks a certain way and everybody's meant to fall in line with it you said he wasn't a a very captivating leader and you don't understand why the people followed i think it was interesting that we 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 fell in with this guy after he had already created his following right right he's already already had it yeah i actually like the fact that we didn't have to see him or have to even know anything about how did he come to that position. If you get the impression that he just was influential enough to get people on board with his first book, he wrote a book. People really liked the idea because of something different. Maybe it made them think, or they liked the way he was going with it. Right. But then in the end, he's got nothing else to follow up with. You're right. You weren't inspired by his speech when he released the second book. That was the point. Mm. Nobody was supposed to be. Mm. It was a sham. I mean, he gets up there and he's basically just spouting off words because he's got nothing else to go on. Freddie sees that. And that's where Freddie loses all interest right away, I think, is realizing, wait a minute. I've been like following this guy around for the last however long and thinking this guy was going to you know, set me on my ways. And he's just talking. It's just words. So I understand what you're saying. He doesn't come across as the most charismatic leader, but I think that's kind of the point. These people have already bought into him. We actually see him at his peak so starting see, to taper yeah, so down a little bit. we see his fall. Yeah. Okay. I didn't because, you know, uh, even Laura Dern, who plays a very small role in the film, you kind of get the sense that even she's questioning, like, oh, what's what's up? You right. know, it's like, I just read your book, and it's a little simple. It's a little of a letdown. So 
it's kind of like this, uh, you know, great performer, this great artist that does this great work. And then everybody's clamoring, waiting for a second one. They see it and they're like, eh, it's, it's, uh, it's not that great. Right. You don't want to just come up and bash the guy because you loved his first work so much and you really enjoyed what he was doing, but you don't like the second and you're starting to lose a little, a little enthusiasm for it. See, the- We're catching him in that phase of it. And I thought that was more interesting to me. Huh? Yeah. I guess I was thrown off because I assumed obviously incorrectly that, you know, this movie would follow more of a typical thing where you would see more of like the mm. growth of the, the master's career yeah. or something. You would have some understanding, but I guess you're right. I guess what Anderson was doing was bringing you in at the peak or maybe actually shortly after his peak. I think, yeah. And then seeing the downfall. Yeah. And you know, I guess <laughs> the perception of Freddie to the master is basically my perception of Paul Thomas Anderson. Now mm-hmm. I feel like this movie is after his peak Hmm. And I'm seeing, I'm seeing it fade. And it's like, the reason I want to like it so much is because I liked Magnolia so much. And I really, that's my favorite film of his. And now I feel like There Will Be Blood was good, but it still kind of lost me a little bit. I like this one better than There Will Be Blood. Really? And I liked it better than Punch Drunk Love. Um, I still like Boogie Nights and Magnolia. Probably the best of all of his films. That was his two early ones. So yeah, you could say not as strong as maybe his first couple of films for me. Hmm. But I still think you know There Will Be Blood was a little bit of a letdown for me because I just didn't think it worked as well. I think I had that same disconnect from There Will Be Blood that you're saying you have with this film. Okay, I just I was bored. I didn't get it. I didn't see the the connections. This film, I got it, and uh, I don't know. I, I I think it works really well. I think cinematography you mentioned already, but man, yeah, it's good. It's a beautiful film. It really is a beautiful film. Some great great shot selection there. Acting wise, I thought everybody was great. Um, I thought Amy Adams did a really good job. She's an actress I'm generally being more and more impressed with. I thought she was really good in The Fighter uh, from Mm -hmm. a couple years ago or last year maybe. Uh, I thought she was really good here as well. I'll say so that I don't sound like I'm just – I mean I I think the movie is worth seeing. I'm not saying don't see. I think it's worth seeing. Um, It just didn't – it didn't work for me and it didn't meet the expectations I had. I'll also say that you know I've said I like the cinematography. I thought the acting was good. I want to be sure I comment. I mean, I am a Radiohead fan, but the music mm-hmm. by Johnny Greenwood, yeah. I thought was awesome. Okay. You like the music. the music on it. Yes. So, yeah. I thought it worked and added. Well, Paul Thomas Anderson's film always incorporate music to build a sense of dread or heightened tension and all, even in scenes that don't really have any tension to them. Sure. And this film did the same thing. There were some times where you just knew you were watching to see what Freddie was going to do because you knew something was going on in his head. Right. And the music helped really accentuate that. So I thought that was good as well. I don't know. It just it, The whole film just worked for me. Uh, hmm. it, was not, it was not Boogie Nights. It was not Magnolia. But it was... Started to come pretty close in some parts for me. And I just thought it's a great film. I, I've really enjoyed thinking about it afterwards. I do know the audience we showed it to last week eh, was a lot more mixed. I think there was a lot more disappointment in the film and uh, some confusion about the film. It is a very vague film to some degree. It's also a very, it's a very slow, methodical film too. So you just need to go know that going into it. It's, it's not going to give you easy answers, and it's not going to lay out the cleanest storyline either. So, And I think I think a, a problem I had with it, which I'm interested to see how you interpreted this, a problem that I had, you know, I mentioned it was boring to try to give a little bit more explanation on just instead of just blanket saying, oh, I thought it was boring. In the movie, from its start to its finish, I don't feel like there was much of a journey there. And I also felt like there was a lot of repetition. 
And when I mentioned this to uh, somebody I was discussing the movie with, they came back with, well, don't you think that was the repetition was done on purpose because that's kind of like processing. Yes. And my response to that was, which, you know, they talk about processing and and that's a big part of his movement is Mm -hmm. this processing. And I said, well, if that's the case, I don't enjoy being processed. So maybe that's my whole reaction to the movie is I need something more than just repetition over and over again. Repetition done in an interesting way, like Memento or Groundhog Day, speaks to me. I know those are different types of movies. Mm. But in this movie, I agree. There was a lot of, like, Freddie Quell getting drunk, Freddie Quell trying to be worked on or processed, then him regressing. It was just like it was done, in an to me, in an uninteresting way. But, mm. you know, I guess if I need to give Paul Thomas Anderson more credit, maybe that was the whole processing and the repetition was on purpose and there wasn't yeah. supposed to be a lot of story arc from beginning to end because it was the condition of Freddie. Like, I, I guess I need to sink deeper into the movie. I, I don't know. What, what are your thoughts on? Well, I, I actually yeah. thought the middle section, which was the processing in a way, it was about a good 20, 20, 20 minutes or if Freddie, Freddie going through this process that all the other members of the, uh, the calls, the calls have, uh, have come on board with. I thought that was the most fascinating part of the film. I, mm. Yeah. It was a lot of repetition. It was a lot of, uh, watching the same scenes over and over again and but the but the building a little bit each time and i i just thought it was great because i thought it was the closest i could see as a realistic depiction of somebody indoctrinating somebody into a movement or a slash cult if you want to call it that yeah i just i thought it was great i thought actually the pacing back and forth between the two sides of the room hmm. yeah we saw that shot like probably 12 times and <laughs> to me it was just as captivating the 12th time as the 11th and uh just watching his range of emotions as he's going through that scene was was pretty cool too. So, I, I there you go. I've got no issues. If I've got one dislike about the film, and it's my typical dislike with some of Paul Thomas Anderson's film, hmm. endings are not his strong suit. Yeah. I just don't think he really knows how to cap an ending. Okay, and I think that's partly on purpose. I don't think he likes the idea of having this nice, tidy, clean ending. Hmm. The ending scene, uh, which takes place, I think, in England, and yes. after the two have been separated for a while, and you get them back together for a, a, a yeah, ten ten minute scene or so at the end, uh, it was not as strong as I thought it could have been. Uh, the ending left a little for me to be desired. I did, wasn't looking for more clarity and I wasn't looking for more closure on things. I just, I, I just didn't think it packed a really strong ending. I kind of felt the same way about there will be blood. I actually, in the end was disappointed with mm. the bowling lane right. scene. The milkshake. I'd, yeah. I'd been <laughs> built up for that. And I just didn't think that worked for me as strong as it could either. In general, his films, I don't like the endings, Okay, but I'm not going to fault the previous two hours of the film because I didn't care for the last 10 minutes. Now it's really my, my only real weakness on the film. Gotcha. Unfortunately, I think as a movie going society, the last 10 minutes is the, what we walk out of the theater remembering a, more. Sure. So sure. it is a challenge. I think that's where a lot of people were disheartened by the film. If you get to the end and it's like, ah, okay, that's the way it's going to end. Well, all right. And that's a bit of a letdown. I, I'm more of trying to remember that, wow, there were two hours of really, really great film gotcha. leading up to an ending that was a uh, mediocre, not a bad ending, just not a great ending. So, so we can't talk about the ending. No, not probably not. Probably not. Yeah, I don't think we really need to do a spoiler ending with this. I mean, it, it's a it's in still in limited release right now. I don't think it's going to get a huge market play play anywhere, uh, you know. But obviously, we we do encourage you guys to check it out. Whether you like what you're hearing from me or Chris, or kind of feel like you would agree with us on either side, uh, it's definitely still worth seeing. 
I personally wholeheartedly agree. It. Chris is saying see it, but he's got some some issues I, with yeah, the I'm, film. I'm lukewarm on the film, but for lovers of cinema, for fans of Paul Thomas Anderson, I think it's worth seeing. Okay. All right. Well, I I, I thought it was great. So I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> so that was really really good. Fair enough. Uh, quick little note on this. I thought was just interesting before we move on to our next review. You know, there's a lot of discussion about whether or not P.T. Anderson was inspired by Scientology to do this film. And yeah, there were some elements where he de- definitely said, "Yeah, I kind of took that from what I know about Scientology." Sure. His interest, however, seemed to be, and I think this is obvious in the film. His interest was actually more about the post-war soldiers and the trauma that they go through and trying to reacclimate themselves back into life. He supposedly got so much inspiration from an old John Huston documentary called Let There Be Light back from 1946, which is about post-war traumatic syndromes for soldiers. Okay. He's even gone out and said, I've lifted so many things from that documentary into this film. Hmm. I, think his in, I think his interest was more on somebody coming out of a traumatic experience like a war as a soldier and going back into their society what avenues are there for them and how easy is it for them to maybe or maybe not get brought into something like the calls? I think that's more of his fascination than it was exploring a, a religious movement like Scientology. I, I don't see? I don't see that as really being what he was interested in doing in this film. And I guess I guess if I guess whether it be a fault of marketing or I'm not I'm not sure who, you know, fault of mine as movie viewer who watches previews. But I wish if that was his intention that he actually would have left any references of Scientology out. So it would have been a movie about PTSD and just focused on Freddie as opposed and his struggles, whether it be maybe a little bit of religion, maybe he tries drugs, mm-hmm. maybe he tries therapy, maybe he tries like and that would have uh, I, I just, probably better. Yeah, I just but, think he was interested in how the two mesh. crossed and, and meshed there. I think that was really what he was, and there again, we're just, we're speaking for a, a guy that we've never met, and we True. you know probably will never meet. But uh, yeah, I, no. I'm sorry. Man. I know. No, I'm, I love the master. No, it's the I'm greatest film ever. <laughs> I'm disappointed Call too, me. Chris. Call yeah, me Paul. I know. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we're gonna wrap it up. As we said, the master still out in limited release at the time of this recording. I do think we'll be hearing it mentioned come Oscar time, but the question is going to be to to what extent. Sure. Uh, I did not go over as well with critics as I think they were maybe expecting it to. So if it's a field of 10 for best picture, I think it squeezes in if they keep it at five or six, I don't know if it makes it. So um, we'll, we'll definitely see. I am going to say my bets are on Joaquin Phoenix to get a best actor nomination. Oh yeah. And uh, because I do think he deserved it. And I think he's got so far from what I've seen this year, I think he's got a decent chance at it. So we'll see. Um, So with that, we're going to move on to our second review. uh, Disney's wreck it Ralph. Uh, which, you know, Chris actually has more similarities than you would imagine to are the master. Te- yeah, detail. here we go. Um, both films feature a larger than life character trying to break out of the role that he's put himself. Um, OK, hold on. Let me, let me try this again. You got a young, emotionally unstable character who's trying to find their play. No, wait a minute. OK, <laughs> the mayor of Sugarland is repressing his animalistic self and. I can't, I can't do it. I can't, I can't find a way to link these two films at all. Uh, total polar opposites. Let's just talk about Disney's Wreck-It Ralph. My name's Wreck-It Ralph. Wreck it. 30 years I've been doing this. Ah. It starts to feel hard to love your job when no one else seems to like you for doing it. Sure must be nice being the good guy. 
Nice share, Ralph. As fellow bad guys, we've all felt what you're feeling. I'm Zangief, I'm bad guy. Oh, I'm Zangief. Zangief. Ralph, you are bad guy. But this does not mean you're bad guy. Zombie, bad guy. Hi, zombie. Hi, zombie. Zangief saying, labels not make you happy. Good, bad. You must love you. I don't want to be the bad guy anymore. So, Chris, we were both kids of the 80s. Yes. Therefore, you and I were males. Uh, we we grew up in the 80s as kids, so obviously we were video game players, oh, right? Yes. I mean, it's pretty much said and done. If you grew up in the 80s as a male, you played video games, whether yes. it was arcades, whether it was Atari 2600s, or both. Yep. Um, you know, and, and there again, I, I, you and I are not really gamers nowadays. We don't play the current stuff. I mean, but the real video games back in the day, the Pac-Mans, the Defenders, Donkey Kong, Galaga, Pole Position, Pitfall so on that was our that was our life yes, for many many years definitely so in a way disney's latest film which is all about the kind of the arcade style games you know a lot of the throwback stuff really should be a film custom made for us yeah it should be for us right True. it should be for big kids you know we explore the inner world of arcade video games and we follow our character ralph as he becomes frustrated with his role as the bad guy in his game Fix It Felix Jr., which is pretty much a Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong. type of uh, game. And Rampage kind of Yeah, a little bit of Rampage in there, too, with crashing out the windows and all. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. So many old video game throwbacks make their way onto the screen, both in video game premises as well as actual video game characters that we grew up with. Gotcha. So my question to you, Chris, who had a better time with this film, you or your kids? Uh, I, I would think my kids. They definitely they definitely enjoyed it. Um, interesting, though, that from what you're saying, you know, because for them, it's actually kind of hard to relate to, yeah. I guess, in many ways. I was That's what I was curious about, yeah. Because, you know, it does focus so much on things that we know about, you know, mm-hmm. the 8-bit look, 8-bit video games, as opposed to how everything is slick nowadays. But it did have the first-person shooter of, it wasn't Gears of War, I can't remember what it was the... It Hero's Duty. Hero's, <laughs> Hero's yeah. Duty, yeah, because right. of the duty joke. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I guess they could relate to that. Well, that was, I think that was kind of the, the point of, you know, Ralph leaves his game, which is a old style 80s type arcade game. Right. He leaves it because he doesn't want to be a bad guy anymore. And he's able to journey to other games because he's trying to find other things. He wants to get win a medal. He wants to be the good guy. Yes. So he goes to Heroes Duty, which is a Halo type whatever big first person shooter, shooter that, you know, sure. all the kids are the rage of today. Mm-hmm. And he also goes to a racing game, which is very much like a Mario Kart type of racing. So so he gets to do these newer style of games and trying to be successful there. But all along, his his original game was a very much a throwback game like we would have been used to. Right. So, so they tried to cater to all the audiences by giving them different styles, uh, somewhat different styles of animation in some places, mm-hmm. some different levels of energy as well. But how'd your kids do? I mean, there are a lot of references to... Hubert and different types of games and characters that they may they not get. get. They just didn't get that. They it didn't seem to bother them. Um, they did ask me about like the whole Cubert thing afterwards. Yeah. Actually, that's they specifically asked me like, "What's up with him?" I'm like, "Well," and they asked me like, "What kind of game was he from?" I was like, "Well, he was on a pyramid," and I kind of went through and explained. Cubert actually had a little bit of a role <laughs> in the film, and you know, it's, it's an odd character if you don't know the video game. So, right. yeah, right. I mean, so they were thrown off, but they, you know, it was fast-paced enough for them and had enough in there that they were entertained. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I liked it. It was, it's not my favorite Pixar film, but um, I liked it. Sometimes I felt that certain ideas were a little rushed that could have been more thoroughly explored. Okay. Um, for instance, there's a sequence where. 
Ralph has to help create a race car for um, Penelope, not Penelope, yeah. but Penelope something or other. Mm-hmm. I can't remember her last name. Yes. It's the girl that Sarah Silverman does the voice for, who's a major character in the film as well. And I thought that that sequence had a lot of potential for creativity and interesting interesting things to happen. And instead, they kind of started off interesting and then just kind of rushed the rest of it. Like that, in yeah. a way, could have been more of like a process or a journey for them to go on. And instead they just like really, really rushed it. And I, yeah, my, my, my thing is I enjoyed the film. It was mm-hmm. fine. It was a fun little film. I enjoyed the little eighties throwback stuff, but these animated kids films, <laughs> are we just going to be completely confined to these rigid storylines that are just almost the same in every single film? You've got the same basic premise. You know, what's going to happen. Sure. You know exactly where the film's going. You've got your anti-hero, your guy that, you know, wants to be a hero, but it's not really a good hero. Then he meets, there's always got to be a companion. There's got to be somebody that's got to help move the story along. There's always got to be a point where they separate and they have a fight and they don't talk and they get mad at each other. And then they do find a reason to come back together because one of them's in peril. And then they come back and rest. It's the same. It's almost like all these, you know, Disney, Pixar DreamWorks animated films. I go take my kids to see them and visually they're interesting to watch. Right. But story-wise it's just give me something different. Give well, me something ex- I, new on this. I, I can I see what you're saying and I agree that they are very formulaic. Um, but, you know, they are kids' movies so there's that. I yeah. will say for me the one, I guess, refreshing thing that I felt like there was there, the bad guy that you think, you think uh, Fix-It Felix? Yeah. He is the good guy in the video game if Ralph is the bad guy. So you would think then the movie would turn Fix-It Felix into a bad guy and make him be mean to Ralph. Or like you would feel sorry for Mm. Ralph because Fix-It Felix is mean. But instead, Fix-It Felix is, you know, tries to help Ralph and is still nice. And I found that good that they just didn't turn the tables and then demonize Fix-It Felix. Yeah, uh, I that's true. I thought that was kind of, that was, they, and they could have done, that would have been an they easier thing to do. Yeah, I just, so. it's still, I find myself watching it for the eye candy and to, yeah. to hear some of the humor, but I never, I cannot remember the last time I sat through one of these kids animated films and actually wondered where it was going to go story-wise. Hmm. Just never did. I always know, okay, well, yeah, this is the scene where they have a falling out and they're going to like spend some time apart and then they're going to get back together in the next 20 minutes and then everybody's going to be happy in the end. It's so formulaic and I, I agree. It's kids films. I realize they can print these things all day long and make these kids films. And as long as they put different interesting characters and put them in different settings. All right, this week we're going to do one that's in uh, Transylvania with a bunch of monsters. Okay. And now this week it's, we're going to be in the animated uh, uh, video game world. In a couple more weeks, we'll put them in another situation. Same idea. A nice little hodgepodge of interesting characters. Let's voice them by some celebrity comedians so that we have funny things to say. True. It's just, it's getting old. Well, and I I think, I agree. You're referencing uh, Hotel Transylvania there. Mm And, um, yes, that one fell, that one fell really flat for me and I love Halloween. So or monsters and stuff. So I thought that wouldn't be better. I think that is something that's, that's happening. And I guess if I had to cite one that was, I thought it went past that, went past the, the norm mm-hmm. that you're saying, it probably would be Wally. But that, well, was I was gonna while, say, that was a while ago. Wally was probably the last animated slash kids, you know, but kids under quotes, because I really don't think it was a kids film. I think it was a anybody, all ages film. Sure. Was the last one I could think of that just intentionally said, you know what, we're not going to follow that stereotype. We're not going to have Wally with a wisecracking sidekick that's going to make jokes the whole time. And we're not going to have it 
to where he's a hero one minute and then he has doubts and then he has to come back and be a hero. It was never any of that. Wally was a pretty consistent character of the whole film. Right. And, you know, the, fa- the fact that the whole first half of the movie, there was no dialogue. Yeah. Nobody for him to interact with. The closest he had was a little roach cricket. It and was, even that it was, was definitely different. It was a very different style and film. Had, and that was and adventurous. It maybe had a little bit of a daring edge to it, kind of commenting on society yep. and buying things in bulk and yep. that whole. So, yeah. And I guess recent efforts haven't had that. So. Well, I just think in general, the more we're having anything outside of Pixar, and even Pixar has been a little diminishing returns. I know uh, you reviewed Brave a while back on a show here, and, and it was a little lukewarm on that review as well. Right. You know, it, it, but really any of these DreamWorks films, and I know Wreck-It Ralph is a Disney film, not a Pixar film, but more of a traditional Walt Disney animated film. Gotcha. I just, somebody's got to shake this stuff up. I mean, my kids love it. They'll keep watching it. But it, these aren't the kind of films that you're going to sit there and just reminisce about i don't think 10 years from now if you're a kid going up and to be a teenager you're not going to look back in these films like we did some of the kids films we had i think growing up that were a little more out there a little more adventurous a little more daring with their storytelling i i think you're i i sounds like i am a lot uh more fond of wreck it ralph i i responded to it better than you did but i can agree that it's just this year's flavor it's just what they came out with this year and it's disposable um i definitely felt that way about brave so yeah, I guess that that's a shame that they're not they won't they don't have a lasting impact. Yeah, no, I I did enjoy it. And there again, I, you know, if my kids watch it on DVD one day at home, I'll sit there and watch it with them. So it's not like I hated the film at all. I enjoyed it. It was it was fun. It was just afterwards, I'm just still left wanting something different. And from this this whole genre of animated kids films so gotcha. anyway all right, well, let's take a little break. That's our two reviews. So we're both of them. You know, the Master Wreck It Ralph. We're saying. Yeah, go see them. Uh, Master up, very enthusiastic for me. Chris, eh, a little, a little on the on the middle ground with that one. Wreck It Ralph. We're both saying good film. It's fun. Chris enjoyed it a little more than me. I'm just concerned about the future of animated children's films. I guess that's all I have to say. Let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we'll do a couple movie news items and wrap it up with our film recommendations of the month. Stay tuned. Main Cellar City Club, Hickory's premier music venue, is the place to go for music events, wedding dinners or receptions, company retreats, reunions, and more. Contact Main Cellar at 828-345-6246 or find us on Facebook and Twitter for all your entertainment updates. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films. This is where we start to talk about a little bit of movie news. Uh, this is where we have some fun. I like to pull out some headlines or topics and just kind of spring them on Chris and see what he has to say about them. Today, Chris, we're going all sequels and genre big, big budget films. Okay. You ready for this? Yeah. Okay. Get on. Now, this is a little bit of a follow-up to our spotlight, which I will tell everybody, if you have not listened to our spotlight discussion about Walt Disney buying Lucasfilms, meaning that Disney bought Star Wars. You need to stop your, your podcast player, <laughs> your little doohickey thing right now. Stop it. Go do your homework. Go listen to that foot candle spotlight and hear us rant and rave and talk and expunge on on uh, Star Wars for about 20 minutes or so. Then you come back and listen to this because this is just a quick little follow-up to that. Recap, Star, you know, Disney buys Star Wars and announces that, yes, there's going to be a new trilogy. There's going to be an Episode 7 coming out in 2015, which is only two and a half years yeah. from now. All right, so now they have announced that they have a writer okay. for the script. His name is Michael Arndt. Are you familiar with him at all? 
I don't think so. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine Rider. Oh, yeah. Which sounds very different. Um, He's written a few other things, but nothing, nothing that really jumps out. Little Miss Sunshine is kind of the one he's gotten all the attention for. How different a movie to be coming from. Now, granted, he may be the biggest Star Wars junkie we've ever known and just knows his stuff in and out. But just kind of interesting that that's his credit as we're getting to. So we got that. And then two other little side pieces with it I thought were very interesting. Steven Spielberg, do you think he would be a good director for a Star Wars film? Oh, man. Um, We've talked about Steven Spielberg and my opinion of his stuff as of late. Um, I mean, I would rather there not be a big name attached. But he would... You know, I, I, I don't know. I have, would have mixed feelings about well, that. Well, he's not going to do it. Okay, so. good. Yeah, okay, good. He's already <laughs> said, no, no, uh, it's not my genre. It's my best friend George's genre. Although I disagree. Oh. He did Minority Report. He did some other sci-fi. I was going to say he's, yeah. and he did AI. Yeah, um, so he's done sci-fi. But right. I just think he doesn't want to touch this one. Um, all right. Can't blame him. <laughs> Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> would you want to see a Quentin Tarantino Star Wars movie? I would love to, but I don't think... I don't think the fans would, or a lot of fans of Star Wars would want to see him do it. All right. I would love to. Well, the general probably doesn't have to worry. He's already said no. No. He says, I could care. I said, I could so care less about the looming trilogy. He said, no, sorry, especially if Disney's going to be doing it. I'm not interested in the Simon West version of Star Wars, which Simon West directed Con Air, Tomb Raider, a bunch of other like kind of mediocre action films for Disney. So Tarantino basically uh, threw the guy under the bus and said, no, if they're going to make me do a lightweight version of Star Wars under uh, Disney, I don't want to do it. Well, and he probably would. I, Quentin Tarantino comes, I mean, granted, I have not only not met Paul Thomas Anderson, I've never met Quentin mm-hmm. either. But he comes across as somebody who basically wants to make the movie that he wants to make. Yeah. And yeah, I think he would be probably limited by Disney. I think very limited would be the so. the, the key there. I, I I think you know. I'd still love. Although to see I would it, love to see an adventurous director take a hold of Star Wars, it still has to play within a certain boundaries. Right. You can't go hog wild uh, art avant garde with with Star Wars right now. I wouldn't want that. I mean, it'd be a cool experiment, but I would not want that to be the official Episode Seven because it would be so different. Yeah. From- so I think in a way, it's probably a good thing. Now, if they ever do like a spinoff movie of like. Boba Fett or something, and it just it's kind of outside of the trilogy realm. Heck yeah, let's get Tarantino to do something really, really bizarre with it. That would be cool. Hmm. So anyway, how about Alfonso Cuarón who did the third Harry Potter? Ooh. How about him do? Because I think he would play nice within the realm. I think so too. Because I think he, he would in be the great. Harry Potter sandbox. He did okay. That's still my favorite Harry Potter film, and right. I think just had a great style to it. And he's a talented director. Uh, I think that would be great. J.J. Abrams is still getting could tossed around, and Brad Bird is getting tossed around uh, name wise. Now okay. there's no telling. There could be but any other direction. Just weed now because he's too busy with the Avengers. Joss Whedon's going to have the Avengers going on, gotcha. and that's a Disney property as well so they kind of want him focused on that for the next two to three years yeah mm-hmm. um just one more note i did see with the writer uh who's writing the screenplay that michael aren't uh he also wrote uh toy story three. Oh, so that's good okay. so he's done some kind of good crowd pleasing and that he did for uh, disney so yeah. they're like okay so there's a good connection there but basically it's uh well that's really he good. won uh, he won an academy award for best original screenplay for writing little miss sunshine it was nominated for best adapted screenplay for writing toy story three well, see, that's actually really encouraging to me because he took an existing, you know, franchise with Toy Story that already had two movies and was able to write something that was decent, was good for a third. So, you know, he's taking with Star Wars, apparently he's taken something that everybody assumes they already know all the story 
And yeah, so I'm okay. That's very encouraging yeah. for me. Good. More hey, so than little Miss Sunshine. <laughs> well, Chris, here's the thing. I, I know, God, you've been asking me about this nonstop. You've been so excited about this. The next Transformers movie. <laughs> you got it. Oh, no, really? <laughs> it is. Okay. I know you're so excited about Transformers 4. I, you can't wait. I can't. I me can't. neither. I've already, I've already, I, I call the theater every single day, say, hey, are you selling tickets yet for Transformers 4? When is it coming out? <laughs> Gotta know. Uh, hold on, I'm working Christmas? on it. Uh, June 27th, 2014. Ah, uh, sorry. Okay. And we are being extremely sarcastic yes. for those of you not picking up on this. I'm not a fan of it all, of the Transformers film. I think they are, I think they've set theatrical process back in our country <laughs> back so many years. Yeah. Um, technically, okay, fine. They look impressive, some of the CGI effects, but oh my gosh, what a, just tough tough film trilogy to to even sit through i'm surprised we're already up to number four yeah well you know who's they've got locked in to play the uh the lead now that shia labeouf 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 oh, is he gone he's gone he's really? out he's he's doing freaky uh uh he's doing freaky music videos right now like oh. nude freaky have you seen that no no, oh my that gosh. sounds much more interesting than Transformers 4, though. <laughs> yeah. There's like a 12-minute music video. I forget who, which band it is. It's a good band. Um, huh. Experimental art music video where he and a girl are nude the whole time and okay. very crazy. Anyway, he's okay. he's he's doing his own thing now. Okay. Um, he's taken his Transformers money and run off. He has. He has. He's, he's gone. <laughs> awesome. Uh, Mark Wahlberg. Whoa. Yeah, Mark Wahlberg is going to be the lead actor in Transformers 4. Yes, Mark Wahlberg, uh, talking to animals, Mark Wahlberg, <laughs> say hi to your mother for me. Um, of Ted fame. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so he signed on. Uh, he and Michael Bay worked together on Pain and Gain, which is a movie that's coming out in the next little bit. A low, small budget film. Hmm. Small budget for Michael, Michael Bay. Bay doing small yeah, okay. well, Michael Bay small budget, which means it was probably only $200 million to make. Gotcha. Um, but it was a smaller budget film. It's a little lesser known film. Uh, I think about weightlifting or possibly steroids or something. I'm not sure. Okay. That's boy. I just really just pulled that out of nowhere. That's just, I seem to remember reading that somewhere. Okay. But anyway, they worked together supposedly hit it off. Okay. Had a good time working on it. So now Michael Bay's cast him in the transformers legacy, which I think the word legacy is just hilarious to use with that. (laughs) So, Marky Mark and the Monkey Bunch, Funky Bunch, whatever. I think Monkey Bunch fits. Monkey Bunch. <laughs> uh, is going to be playing with Optimus Prime and Bumblebee and all. That should be really oh, interesting. So, now, yeah. like, have your kids seen all the movies? They have. Really? We've watched okay. them all. On I, I took my oldest to go see the first one in the theater. That excruciating experience. Um, <laughs> what even made that worse, filming-wise, uh, screening-wise, was that the film broke. Ooh. Halfway through the movie. Ooh. So when they started it back up again, they had to replay the 20 minutes before leading up to it. Oh, so I had no. to watch the worst part of the film, <laughs> I thought, in the middle of the film with Shia LaBeouf trying to do a Woody Allen thing with his parents and just being <sighs> so manic acting. I had to watch that again oh. in the middle of the night. This was like a midnight screening. It was, it was oh, a no. bad experience. <laughs> um, the last five minutes of the film got cut off. I don't think anybody noticed. <laughs> like we still don't really know what happened in the film. Awesome. Um, so yeah, I've seen all three. The last two, I refused to go to the movie theater to see, even okay. though my kids wanted to go. We did watch it on Netflix or DVD or whatever, and I either slept through half of it or got frustrated and left the room, and that was it. So, so. Do you, so they were even worse than the first one, or just the same? Um, I honestly can't tell them apart. 
<laughs> They're all just one big mass. They are. It's And believe me, I am Mr. Giant Robots fighting each other. I love Godzilla movies. I love big monster movies. And I love, love that Hugh Jackman movie. I love Real Steel. Real, Real Steel, Steel was awesome. Yeah, but yeah. this this was just, it was incoherent. I mean, it was just mm-hmm. hard to follow. You didn't know. The acting was bad. It was just all style over substance. It was just tough movies. So huh. anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh, a last thing I'll mention real quick, and I know we've talked about this, you and I, off off the off the uh, microphones here. But so Skyfall, the latest James Bond movie, just came out recently, yes. getting some excellent reviews, and we are planning on having a foot candle spotlight of that here in the next little bit to talk about Skyfall because uh, I'm going to see it tonight. But it has been getting some great reviews. Just wanted to kind of toss it out there, the whole James Bond legacy. I don't think we really talked about James Bond on the show. I can't remember if we'd have or not. Uh, I don't know. They're up in their 20s on the films, number of films they've done, I believe. Okay. Uh, it's been going on for a really long time. The longest film franchise that we've got right now. What Are you a James Bond fan? Have you ever been uh, interested in the series? I, I was briefly interested in it when I was probably a teenager. And basically because it... <laughs> It borderlined on like edgy things that adults would like is like, ooh, R-rated movie with guy chasing, like has all these attractive women. So that's when I was kind of into it. So it was in the, I guess, unfortunately, the Timothy Dalton phase and maybe a little bit of the Pierce Brosnan. And then that that was it. And then when they would come on TV, I watched the very stripped down versions that they were allowed to show on TV. So that was it. But then... I just kind of lost interest. I did finally see Casino Royale, and I liked that, the kind of the reboot with Daniel Craig. So I'm interested in Skyfall. Yeah. Okay, well, it is, uh, you know, it's Sam Mendes directing Skyfall, which is, you know, a pretty acclaimed director. He's a uh, Oscar-nominated director. He did American Beauty. He did The Road to Perdition, Jarhead, Away We Go. It's a good director. I mean, you know, it's a high caliber director. They didn't just bring in some guy, you know, just you know, off the street to come in and direct this thing like they have done with some past Bond films, I think, over the years. They really seem to be focused with this latest Daniel Craig series to bring in some really top notch directors and really push the direction of the series a bit. Have um, each of the other the Daniel Craig, because this is his third. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. Have each of the other were they directed by two different people? Yes, they were. They were. Okay. Uh, Martin, gosh, I don't remember the guy's name that did um, Casino Royale, and then we had Mark Forrester do Quantum of Solace, which sucked. You. But um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they have brought in different directors. Okay. I hope that's something they keep doing, even sure. though Skyfall has already made so much money and the reviews are so big. I'm sure they're probably going to try to figure out how to get the same the Sam to do it again. Um, but I'm, I'm curious. I've, I'm a huge James Bond fan. I was you know, back in the eighties. I don't remember how many times I saw a view to a kill, but it really? was, Oh yeah. Wow. Um, really just love this stuff. Roger Moore in hindsight. Yeah. He was really campy and not the best James Bond in the world, but he was my James Bond. I, I, I missed the Sean Connery. I had to go back and watch those when I was older. See, and I think I missed, I just barely missed Roger Moore. I yeah. Think. I was, uh, yeah. My, uh, the last two or three Roger Moore films was kind of when I was really into going to the movies and gotcha. watching that stuff. So, gotcha. um, yeah, I'm, I'm, and even though Pierce Brosnan seemed like on paper he would have been the best Bond ever, just his, you know, his, the well, look he was and mannerisms. Than Timothy Dalton. Well, uh, okay, Do- Timothy Dalton I think is a much uh, much aligned, uh, misaligned 
James Bond. I think he was actually better than people give him credit for. Uh, They were trying to go a little more realistic and gritty with his James Bond. And I think they got too much backlash because people weren't ready for it. So they went back to the tried and true uh, Pierce Brosnan model. Daniel Craig, they're trying the grimmy, grimmy, (laughs) gritty and a darker side. And it's working for people now. I got you. So they tried it with Timothy Dalton. Didn't quite work for two films. Uh, Huh. You know, I, I'm fascinated by the whole series. There's been a lot of legal hangups with getting this last made film made through the the owners of the the the, the property and the characters. But I think they finally got it worked out. They're back mm-hmm. on their feet, and they seem to be looking pretty good. So I'm I'm just I'm happy to hear that it's doing so well. And we will have a spotlight review coming up, hopefully pretty soon on that. Excellent. Good. So that's been our movie news. That's been our movie discussions here on what's going on in the movie world. Just before we get to our recommendations, we are planning on having a discussion. We, we teased about this before, about doing a discussion about Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho. We had a chance to do a special screening of Psycho just a few weeks ago at our film society. And uh, we're still going to be recording that. We haven't done that yet. We had too much stuff we wanted to put into this show. So uh, if you are looking for that discussion of Psycho, it will be coming soon, probably as a spotlight in the next few weeks. Sure. Uh, So keep your eyes open for that. We will get that out for you as soon as we can. But we just had too many great films to talk about this month. And uh, with that being said, let's move right into our last segment, which is our film recommendations of the month. Chris, you want to go first? What do you got for us? Um, I have a film that I think it was shot in uh, 2011, but it was actually released in January of 2012. And it is the, I guess you could call it action, but it's really more drama. It's uh, called The Grey. And it stars Liam Neeson. And it has a really horrific plane crash in it. Mm -hmm. And then follows the story of the, it was basically these uh, people that work at an oil refinery up in Alaska. And they are going, they are trying to go home. They get on this plane, plane crashes, and then they're stuck out in the wilderness. Mm -hmm. And it's about them trying to survive. And this is the one where they fight the wolves? Yes. Okay. And it's the one where they fight the wolves. (laughs) So that, that... it's more than just a, it's not really concerned about being an action movie. It really is very kind of heavy as far as what is life about? What does it mean if I die? What am I leaving behind helping other people? And like, what's the value of a human life? Like it's very kind of heavy. Wow. Deep. Okay. Yeah. Really deep. Um, so it's not just like, you know, you would think it's not just punching wolves. No. And okay. it's not just like the movie alive where it's an inspirational story, you know, where there, there's a plane mm. crash and there's survivors and they're like, how do they survive being up in the mountains? And I, so, um, it, and it's not just punching wolves. <laughs> if there was a weak part of the movie, I would say maybe, because I think it was probably a smaller budget movie. Mm. Maybe some of the effects with the wolves aren't quite as mm. cool as they could be and maybe not as realistic. Yeah. Um, but I don't think that should discourage you. It's not an uplifting movie. Sure. <laughs> I well, will warn people with that. Right, just answer me this. Does anybody have to eat each other? No. Okay, good. I'm on so board. You don't have then. to worry about that. That's a real thing for me. I'm sure. I have a hard time with that. So, but it's, it's a, it's a good movie. Um, I think it's understated, you know, you don't hear a lot about it. You know, Liam Neeson, he made taken two, which I have <laughs> yeah. not seen, but you know, I think he's a really good actor and I enjoy him. And he really had a chance to, to shine in this movie. I think if more people had seen it, he might even would even be nominated for an Oscar. I actually, there was some rumblings for a while. Joe uh, Carnahan, the director, mm-hmm. um, 
Yeah, there was a lot of good buzz around this movie when it came out. And uh, there was even some talk of getting some recognition for acting on it and stuff, too. So, no, I've been really curious to see it. I've actually heard it's, it's better than what maybe previews have let on that it was supposed to be. So Right. I mean, you just think, oh, it's a you know disaster movie and they're yeah. fighting. Well, it's like, that just sounds dumb. It's worth seeing. Good. Awesome. Uh, I've got my film recommendation is a film called Death at a Funeral. Hmm. Now, you may have heard it recently on previews and all because there was a more, uh, I hate saying Americanized version because I'll explain why in a minute. There was a remake of this film just in the last year or two. Okay. Um, uh, I think it had, uh, had Martin Chris- Lawrence in it and Chris Rock and some yeah, others. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I have not seen the remake. I don't know if okay, that's any good or not. This is the original. This is the original, which I hate saying original because it's only five years ago. It was 2007. Mm-hmm. Um, it takes place in England, okay. but it's directed by Frank Oz, who is yeah. What About Bob? He was, of course, the voice of Miss Piggy and hmm. several other Muppet characters and involved with the Jim Henson Studios for many years. But sure. he's become a director uh, over the years, of course. What About Bob being the one that most people probably remember him for, um, although he's made several other movies, some not as as good as others. But Death at a Funeral, a uh, very small, small budget film, comedy I, uh, you know, you turn it on the other night, just kind of more out of curiosity. Mm-hmm. And uh, wow, this was a fun little movie, especially if you just go in really not expecting anything at all. Now, is it the one, obviously, Chris Rock, Martin Lawrence, that was obviously geared as a comedy. Is this one a comedy as well? Yes, is it, it more is. more dramatic? Oh, no, no. Okay. It's definitely a comedy. Okay. There's no no doubt about it. Okay. Um, it uh, stars, and I'm having a hard time with the, uh, it's a lot of actors you don't know. Mm-hmm. Matthew McFadden, I, I don't know. Keely Halls, I don't know her as well. Andy Nyman. Uh, we did have a couple that I thought were interesting. Alan Tudyk, who is the, uh, he was from Firefly. Okay. Redheaded guy. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. American. Okay. But he's in the film. He plays somebody, a fiance of one of the characters. And he, our throwback to Wreck-It Ralph, was actually the voice of the mayor of Sugarland. Okay. Which was a very odd voice, and I didn't even think that would have been him, but supposedly this guy's obviously pretty good with voices. Huh. Um, anyway, he's somebody you would recognize if you saw a picture. Yeah, yeah, he's yeah. one of those actors where he's just, you know, he's in a lot of things. He's just not an extremely well-known actor. And then Peter Dinklage. Okay. Um, you know, the the the, the smaller, uh, more miniature Game guy. Thrones. Game of Thrones. Yeah. He was in the station agent. Yes. He is in this and he has a really, really fun role. So okay. um, it is a fun movie. I'm not going to tell you any more other than it. Was just, he also in the remake? He was. Chris, okay. So he carried over his role okay. from the two films. Okay. He plays a nice surprise character uh, throughout the film. And it's one of those comedies that starts out with a very simple premise and then it just gets a little deeper, a little deeper. Um you know, it's not perfect. There are some parts that just don't work, don't but work. it is a fun little film. If you've got it on Netflix, cue it up, watch it. So it is available. It online. is on Netflix. Okay. It's a nice 90 minute film. Just a good way to pass some time and have some laughs with it. If I got about it, cause I forgot to say gray is also uh, streamable on Netflix just right. for those people who are trying to find it. Um, I got a question for you about death at a funeral. If the surprise that you kind of mentioned, if I think I know what that is from the preview from the unfortunate remake, does that spoil things if I think I know this surprise? Or it's still no, okay. okay? It's still good. fun. Good. It's still fun. Good. No, it's not really like a big. It's not meant to be like you build up to the whole surprise. Okay. No, no. The the, the 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 what that message just happens pretty early in the film. Okay, good. It's how they're all dealing with it up until that point. Okay. And then Alan Tudyk, and I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. Uh, please call me Alan if I'm not. I'll be glad to go back and re-record. Um, he has a really fun showy role as. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, there's drugs involved somewhere in this funeral. One of the members of the family hmm. has some prescription drug things that he does on the side to make money. Wow. That gets mixed in and somebody thinks it's headache medicine. It's not. Nice. Alan Tudyk's character, Simon, becomes the recipient of all that and just... He really gets to go pretty nuts with his role there, so cool. uh, it's a it's a fun movie. I really had a good time watching it. We laughed a lot. It was uh, it was fun. Okay, so so the gray and death at a funeral, uh, very opposite films. It sounds like maybe a good double feature. So you watch, watch the, the gray, gray first. first. Okay, watch the gray first. Go ahead and get yourself down and questioning <laughs> life and existence and all that. Then lift yourself back up for a nice ninety minute comedy about go. uh about a funeral. So <laughs> it's good. It's a nice, it's a nice match there. Excellent. All right. Well, I think that's all we've got for today's show. So the master wreck it, Ralph, uh, some of the news items, anxiously awaiting transformers for, mm-hmm. um, and death at a funeral and the gray. So a lot of good movies to go out there and check out and, uh, and read up on uh, again, special thanks to our sponsor, uh, main seller city club for all the support, of the show and of the mesh network. Uh, you know, we're just one, one little piece of the whole mesh network here. Right. We've got so many other shows and programs up on that network. Check it out. Check us out at themesh.tv to see all the programs going on, all the episodes. If you really will like have a long weekend and you just need something to do, you can go back and listen to every single one of our front candle <laughs> films episodes since the very beginning. Yeah. I think what well, we started, like you and I were what, 12, 14 years old. I mean, <laughs> it's way back in time. Go back and listen to all the uh, talk about all the movies we've seen or reviewed over the years. And uh, then again, check out all the other shows on the Mesh Network as well. A whole variety of different programs and uh, and topics to get involved with. You can contact us by either the Mesh's Facebook page. You can drop us an email at info at TV. You can go on the Mesh website and fill out the little contact us form. Just all these different ways you can get a hold of us. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear your thoughts on our reviews, if you agree, disagree, if you um, have some questions or have some of your own movie news you'd like for us to discuss. We'd love to hear from it. Sometimes some of the news we use are things that people have piped into us to us to talk about. So we'd love to hear from you. Go ahead and uh, drop us a line and let us know what you're thinking about. And, uh, and then, of course, our Film Society. You can always learn more about our Film Society at footcandle.org. That's where we go and uh, schedule some nice, interesting screenings here in western North Carolina, good old Hickory downtown. We bring a film here, have a nice uh, group uh, viewing of the film and discussion afterwards, and also partner with a lot of local organizations to show some great documentaries and other uh, topical films as well. Okay, so with that, I think we've wrapped up today. Chris, thanks a lot for uh, your time and joining me at the uh, microphone stand here for uh, the last hour or so. And uh, we'll have a few foot candle spotlights peppered out throughout the, uh, the next few weeks, and then we'll look forward to seeing everybody again or talking to you again at our next uh, big show next month. All right. Good. I think we're done, right? Yep. Anything else? Nope. I'm not missing anything? I don't think so. Okay. Good. <laughs> See you all later. All right. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Watch films in the company of like-minded people in the dark. Watch films in the underground. We won't let anyone know where you are. The films that don't make it to Carmike at the mall. Or ones that were famous when Brown. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. 
For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.